good to see you. If this is your first time at Fathom, just want to uh, let you know how much uh, we love you. We're glad you're here. We just um, want a place where we can start relationships with Jesus and grow in those relationships uh, as we do life together. Um, God's created us to do life together, and we think that growth best happens together when we do it together. So I want to thank you for being here. I pray this is a place you can grow in faith and family. And so if you've been with us for any uh, stretch of time, especially here in 2014, we launched into a, kind of a big series of series called Go Make Disciples. And, and it's just about embodying our mission uh, that, that Jesus gave us, that I didn't write like a fancy mission statement, that Jesus gave us to go make disciples. Just that simple, to go make disciples. And we've been trying to figure out what that looks like in our city and digging into the text to what that looks like to live a life that's about making disciples and the mission that Jesus gave us. Um, and, and so we're just diving into that, uh, and we're on the kind of the home stretch of that, and we're looking at specific disciples, their lives. So the past, uh, this whole month, what we're looking at, and we'll kind of wrap everything up with this big event we're doing called Here for Good. Is anybody excited about Here for Good? Yes, we're doing this big event where it's just going to be project-focused. We've got projects throughout the city that we're going to kind of gather together, celebrate, get stoked. And we're going to go out and serve our community and, and really just be outward-focused. Uh, and just so that that would just kind of be a catapult for us to be living this whole series um, in, in our daily lives as we move forward. So this past couple of weeks, we've been looking at <clears throat> really two really great examples of disciples. We looked at the life of Andrew. He was the first disciple. That The Gospels actually say that he kind of started following Jesus, and Jesus turns around and is like, hey, like, what do you want? <laughs> like, and, and he's already kind of positioning himself to serve Jesus. He's wanting to know where Jesus is staying. And we see this just incredible faithfulness and resourcefulness that uh, at the feeding of the multitude, he's standing there and he sees a little kid and he's got this huge faith to say, hey, God, I know we're wanting, you know, Jesus, I know you want to feed all these people. And here's a kid, he's got, he's got like a little bit of food. I believe that you could do something with this. So we just got so many lessons out of Andrew. And last week it got really deep as we learned uh, about the one who, who termed himself the one who Jesus loved. We looked at, at uh, the disciple John and, and just the intimate relationship he had with Jesus. And what we, we looked at is that early on, he was like super fiery and you know, was wanting to call down fire from heaven and box everybody else's ministry out because he thought what he had was, was really special with Jesus, which it obviously was. Um, but over time, we see how he just was transformed, that being with Jesus changed him. And that for us, when we spend time with Jesus, it changes us. As we just get to know him, we see this just great inner circle relationship of comfort and challenging one another. Uh, and so we're going to dive in today. And again, we've had two really good examples. And so today we're going to hit like the really, really, really bad example. Uh, we're going to look at Judas. So I know that's what everybody wakes up and gets really excited about on Sunday mornings, is to come and hear a message about Judas the betrayer, right? Isn't that what you were thinking? Like, I hope he does Judas today. Um, <laughs> and I think there's a lot of interesting things here. I think it certainly applies to our life, not only in the financial realm, but so many other places. Um, I, 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 you know, have to, this is kind of a, a platform in which um, transparency is, is very much welcomed and uh, sometimes it, it makes people uncomfortable, but there were times early in my life where um, that there was this one instance in which I had a friend that broke into my house while we were on vacation, and he stole some stuff from me. Stole some stuff, like my favorite stuff. I mean, he stole my model cars and my baseball cards, like my favorite stuff. We come home, and we see like ice cream sandwiches, like wrappers all over our pool table. We're like, somebody's been here. 
And like our pool table balls were all scattered. We're like, how did, somebody's broken into our house. And so nothing was missing in our entire house except for my stuff. I was like, are you kidding me? Like my favorite stuff, and I'm, I'm a pretty young kid at this point. And so I, I, I didn't act super disturbed about it on the outside, but I was in, me and my friends, after we found out who it was and kind of confronted them, they returned most of my stuff most of it, not all of it, and, uh, and so we just kind of plotted to, we'll, we'll, we'll get them back, so uh, we'll get him back, and so when his family went on vacation, guess what we did? We broke into their house and stole some of his stuff, but we stole really stupid stuff, like, I think we stole, like, a little tiny flashlight, like, it was like a little flashlight, like, we, we were scared to be real criminals, <laughs> you know, our parents had that much fear in us, so we, like, you know, slipped under the garage, and we stole, like, a, a little flashlight or something, so it was very, um, you know, trivial, but still, it was thievery nonetheless. I love that word, thievery. Isn't that fun? So we're going to look at Judas, and I think within all of us, as we learn that Jesus loves us, that he not only loves us, but he's jealous for us, that he wants all of us. Now, for many of us, there's areas of our life in, in which we section out and say, God, you can have everything but this. And whether we ever say that, our actions, our schedules, our bank accounts prove that there's an area that we've carved out. And here's the thing, that as the things that we protect Jesus from, he won't be able to protect us from. He, he won't be able to cover us in the, if we protect and, from them. and I'm not saying that anything to, to, to um, lower what Christ can do, because he can certainly do, but I, I think he set up an economy of our spiritual relationship with him that he wants it all. He wants it all. So we're going to go in and we're going to look at Judas and see how this really applies and the things we value in our life. And so we're going to go to Matthew chapter 26. Uh, some of you will know this, some of you won't, but Judas was like a treasurer. He was in charge of the money for the disciples, but he was also a thief. Not the best situation. You don't want the thief. Like we do background checks for anybody involved in our, our um, you know, in, involved in our finances or our kids ministry, student ministry, you know. But his background check didn't show up. I guess when he decided, Jesus said, "Hey, I want you to be, um, you know, in charge of the finances." There's some kind of funny questions we can ask about this, and we'll ask them as we go forward. But like, Jesus, why would you put a thief in charge of the money? Like, wouldn't Jesus, the Son of God? Of all people, know better to put a thief. And we're going to look at a scripture here in just a second that says, um, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And I think Jesus was certainly putting his money where his mouth is with this. That he was not, his supply was not finances, but it was God. So we're going to dig into that and some of these tough questions. And I think more than the tough questions we can ask of the text, I think today as we do that, I think it's going to ask us some tough questions in our life, and I think it's going to really launch us forward. Um, and, and so let's go to Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to begin, I believe, at verse 6. At verse 6, while Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, Jesus was hanging out at a leper's house. A woman came to him with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. Expensive perfume pouring over Jesus' head. This is really, really, really deep, but it sounds probably weird to us just here in America. When the disciples saw this, they were ticked. They were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price, and the money could have been given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me. 
The poor you'll always have with you, but, but you will not always have me. He's talking about in the physical presence to the disciples, not talking about just uh, about the actual nature of God in, in uh, eternality. Um, when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Oh, that, that gets deep there. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world in Jacksonville, Florida, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. The first thing I think we've got to ask ourselves and some lessons we've got to learn from Judas is we've got to, what's most valuable to us? What's most valuable? John chapter 12 tells us that Judas was the one who, who really brought the questions up, who said, you know, you know, who's, you know what, what, we could have sold this and, and, and used it to give to the poor. It was Judas that said that. So we have to ask ourselves this question, what's most valuable? What's most valuable in your life? When uh, my wife and I launched here, we had to make some tough decisions financially. It was a big faith step for us. Like, we didn't come with a salary package. We didn't come with, uh, we didn't come with really promise of anything. Like, we left our, our home and our, our ministry in Georgia, and like, just planning to trust God and, and making some really, like, tough things to do for that. But we had to decide, like, what's more valuable, like, to have diapers on our kids or to have cable? And, like, that was a pretty easy decision. Cable was on the thing, and we'll figure something out for the kids. I'm just kidding. It was the other way around. We had to decide what was most valuable. You guys just thought, he's still got daddy brain. He's still got daddy brain. No, I just try to be funny. But um, we had to make these decisions, and every single one of us in this room, we make those decisions about what's most valuable and for many of us on the outside, like Judas, he's kind of hanging out there and like there's this appearance of what's best, but it's not really following with our heart. And we kind of follow religiously, but not in a relationship. There's a big difference. There's a, a big difference. And we have to ask ourselves, we have to ask ourselves what's most valuable in our lives. I love how Jesus put it in, in Matthew chapter 6. It's during the Sermon on the Mount. It's like Jesus' first big expositional kind of sermon on a mountain of all things. Like how kind of epic to have your first sermon. And we'll look at this, Matthew <clears throat> chapter 6, and, and we'll look at this text. And he says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. But he also says something right after that. He says that your eyes are a lamp to your body. So let's read through this. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So it's got to be one way or the other, like where... Where is our treasure? So that'll tell us where our heart is. And that's what Jesus is saying. There's something about how we view, like what is most valuable in our life. You know, because whatever we spend our money on, whatever is most valuable to us, will be showing up in our schedules. It'll be showing up. And I think we can make that religious too. We can make that legalistic too. And so we have to really guard ourselves and, and know like our heart. And it's not a matter of, of just like, every nickel and dime, and it's not a matter of every single minute and second, but it's just allowing God to have it all. It's allowing God to breathe into every single bit of it. And so we have to ask ourselves, what's most valuable? 
What's most valuable in our life? Because it affects everything. If you'll go back there and throw up a, a couple of these things, because these are good kind of note-taking things within this thought right here. What's most value, valuable? And if you'll throw up these other, other two items as well. If you settle for what's good, you'll never have what's best. If you settle for what's good. So if you just settle, okay, you know, which way to go here? If we just go with something that's good, we'll never have what's best. If we spend our money in that, if we spend our time in that, but it's not what's best. So a promotion's good, but time with my kids is better. You know, uh, you know this meal right now is, is fantastic, but paying my lights is probably better for today, <laughs> for my credit score, right? We have to make these decisions. If we, have what's, if we settle for what's good, we'll never have what's best. Money will reveal what's most important to us. Money will reveal it. It's one of those things, as soon as we start touching on it, everybody gets really uncomfortable because it reveals something about our heart. God loves a cheerful giver. So we have to ask what's most valuable. And to Judas, we see, again, John 12 tells us that it was Judas here. To him, it was, it was money. Because, not because it wasn't about the poor. That was like a poor excuse. That was a cover over for his greediness and wanting to have control of the money and to do what he wanted to do with it. And Jesus, again, is putting his money where his mouth is to have a thief in charge of the money of all people. So what's most valuable? So let's continue reading verses 14 through 16. And this is going to go even deeper for us as we look at Judas really begin to make some tough things. So the story is progressing now, and Jesus is getting ready to be betrayed. Verse 14, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. For, from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. 30 pieces of silver, that was about four months' wages. So think about whatever you make for four months, whatever you're surviving on for four months. About four months' wages. For some of us, that's a lot of money. For some of us, it's still, you multiply what you're making, and it's still not much by four. You know? um, but, <clears throat> but still, even at this point, we see what's most valuable to him. And then here's the next question I think we have to ask ourselves. What's, what's your price? Like, what's our price? Each one of us have a price. We have things in which, yeah, God will love you until this point, and that's, that's where it, it changes. I love this show, Pond Stars. You guys familiar with Pond Stars? I'm a big Chum Lee fan. Um, anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody watch Pond Stars on the History Channel? Thank you. I was feeling like I was the only one for a second. It's going to blow my illustration. But, so it's, it's a pond, you know, it's a pond shop, and they, they sell goods. People bring stuff in. People have really interesting things, so you get to know the history behind it, and it's kind of fun to watch people bargain, right? And so I kind of get this picture of Judas within this text having this bargain thing, like, what will you give me for Jesus? Like, I'm betraying Jesus. Yeah, this kind of this, and it's funny, as people go into the pawn shop, or they, they like interview them right before they go in, and there's always this question, what are you looking to get out of it? He's like, I'm hoping to get 2000 out of this little toy car or something, and I'm hoping to get 2000 He said, but I'd probably take 1000 So So he's hoping to get, this is what he'd probably take. And then he gets in there, and they tell him, like, it's, it's worth 500 bucks. And he ends up taking, you know, like a hundred bucks for it or something. And so there's this great disparity from what he wanted, what he said was his bottom, and now what he's actually taking. For all of us, there's a price and what we, won't, we won't let it go. I love the story of Job. Job's like the oldest kind of writings we have in, in, in Scripture. And just this historian, for those of you that aren't familiar with it, it, it's basically a guy who was just faithful to God through everything. And it looked from the outside, it looked like God was taking 
everything from him. It looked like God was, in fact, ruining his life by not covering him and taking care of him, allowing just the enemy to take whatever he wanted from him. And I mean, he lost his kids. He, lost, he, he had so much. He lost all his cattle, which was a major deal. It was, it was a livelihood. He lost everything. And his wife comes to him. And he's like, look, you better curse God or I'm leaving you. I mean, that was kind of like the last straw. You just hope, like, they won't leave you. That was the last straw. You're going to curse God or, or I'm going to, to leave you. And he's like, I'm not going to do it. There was no price for him. There was nothing. There was no price for him in which he was going to forsake God because he knew. What's the, the amazing part of the story is how it comes back to him. It's just multiplied coming back to him because just the faithfulness through that God responds he responds to our faithfulness. He responds to just being steady in trials and through suffering and our faithfulness. God responds to it. He responds to our brokenness. And, and, and I mean, you, you kind of counter that and, and, and contrast that with the story of uh, Jacob and Esau in, in which the eldest brother had a birthright that was so valuable and the youngest brother wanted it. And the you know, and, and so there's this thing that he, what he has in his birthright and in his inheritance is, is twice as much as what the, the other brother has. And so he ends up selling off. He ends up trading in his inheritance for nothing, like for a cup of stew because he was hungry. Like he, he gave it up. His price was a cup of stew. And we contrast these two stories of Job and then Jacob and Esau. And it's just like, whoa. Like he had a very cheap price in which he was able to, or, or he chose to just give it up and Job didn't have one. And we see just the, the fallout from those, their lives ongoing. And so within this, what's your price? Here's the thing. When we inappropriately value certain things, it can be extremely costly. When we put inappropriate value to the wrong things, it can be extremely costly. You put value on your weekends off fishing or hunting. I don't think we have a lot of fishers and fishermen and hunters, so this kind of reference won't hurt anybody really. But um, we value those weekends off fishing and hunting, but, in, but the whole time we're forsaking the only free time we have to spend with our kids. And then when we get older, it's become costly to us because we have no relationship with our children. We can't invest. We can't pour into their life. We, we waste it. We inappropriately assign value to our, our me time. The examples are endless in which we inappropriately assign value to the wrong things and how it costs us. And we see that in the life of Judas in which he had a price and it cost him. So it's important that our eyes, how we see value, we know what's, what's valuable, it, it affects that. And so when we fall in love with Christ as we know that he first loved us and, and, and we just respond in that, we see that there is no price. That he's, he's paid it all for us. There's no price that would have us um, forsake our relationship with him. Let's continue the story. And so we're going to skip through a little bit in what's known as the Lord's Supper and just kind of some other things right here. Because we're actually, uh, once we head into the Easter season, we'll be digging into some of these parts. But let's look into the text here in, in chapter 27. Read the first 10 verses. And we're going to see kind of the end of the story for Judas. Just kind of play it out before that. They're sitting at the, the, the Lord's table, you know, what many of us, you know, would know as the, the Lord's Supper or Communion or Eucharist, the first, the very first one, Passover meal. And, and they're sitting around and they're kind of, Jesus says, look, like one of you is going to betray me. And the funny thing is that they're all looking around like, who, me? 
Like, who? You're not talking about me, are you, Jesus? And so, like, that's, that's kind of like, I feel like so, sometimes what we are when we read Scripture, like, oh, it's not talking about me. Like, who are you talking about, Jesus? I've got to be talking about that person over there. But that's kind of what they're having around the, the table right there. And then it, it would turn out to be Judas that would betray. And he'd run out of the room. And, uh, and then that's where we see the exchange, uh, you know, uh, that's where we see the betrayal in the garden and, and all that. So we're going to go to chapter 27 here. And things have kind of changed. Something's changed for Judas. He's already paid, or he's already, he's already been paid for forsaking Jesus. And then going forward here, um, something's changed within him. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have uh, Jesus executed. You know, from the beginning of Jesus' life to the very end, they were plotting to kill him. They were plotting to kill a baby. It's, it's crazy, and just all the way through. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I've sinned, he said, for I've betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and he hanged himself. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, it's against the law to put this into the treasury since it's blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as the burial place for foreigners. Check this out. That is why it's been called the the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the the 30 pieces of silver, the price set on him by the people of Israel, And they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded. Man, look at his response here. There's something deep for us to learn about our response to failure. Our, Our biggest issues in our life is not because we fail, which is what we usually make it about. It's it's about our responses to failure. It's about it's about our response to the shortcoming. And let me go ahead and tell you this that. How we respond to our failures, our shortcoming, our sin, says everything about how we view God. Our response to our failure, our response to our shortcomings, our response to our sin, says so much about how we view God and his grace in our life. It says so much. I mean, look at Judas here. Judas, you know, he feels sorry, feels the remorse. He sees a guy that he's been following, granted from a distance, granted religiously, not relationally. But he sees it in his eyes that he's condemned and he realized what he did was wrong. But his response is where he messed it up. Because I, I, I think, I don't know, I, I, you know, God's will is all involved in this and the sovereignty and this is like the plan for Christ, fulfilling prophecy. There's a whole lot going on here. But your brain just wonders, like, what if his response was different here? And the thing that we have to know is that true repentance is like, it's confessing, but it's turning from our sin. And Judas, he he didn't just confess. He he confessed, kind of felt the remorse, and gave up. It says everything about what he sees in Jesus and the relationship that he has. That the grace of God's not sufficient for him. That God won't accept him right where he's at. And we may feel that same thing here today. Is that what I've done? God's not going to accept me, so I just would rather quit. That's just 
feels easier sometimes to quit, doesn't it? I mean, it just feels easier just to give up. I've shared my story many times. There was a time in my life where my heart was so broken that all I, every time I got in the car, all I wanted to do was yank the wheel into the closest tree. I know what it feels like to feel that desperation just to give up. I've talked with people within this very community in which they've tried and tried to commit suicide and just give up, but God's held them and held them in this space. And so what we, our response says what we think about God. How he'll respond to us. So Judas, he, he confesses, but he gives up. And some of us, what we do and what I've done in my life is, is we'll confess, but we'll keep doing it. Like we'll confess and we'll just stay in our pattern of sin. And what we've done is we've forsaken the grace of God, in fact, by our continual habit of sin. Scripture says that no one that makes a practice, a pattern of sin, is called a friend of God. That we can't just continue in these patterns. It's basically saying that God's not just. It's saying that that God's grace is just something to be kind of toyed with and that there was never a real exchange that his goodness for, for my filthiness. And kind of our third way of responding is, is either we confess and we quit, we confess and just keep on doing it, thinking we'll just keep playing this game. It sounds kind of fun. Paul taught strongly against this type of lifestyle because it tears down the body, it tears down our spirit, and it forsakes, changes the way we view God. It's, it's, it's a false gospel. But the, the third way is to, is to confess but to turn from our sin. To, to, in that relationship to be transformed. To see God's grace, to see his mercy towards us, and that love, that expression changes us so deep down that we cannot, and every time we do, we, we just confess all over again, and it's true repentance. It's a true turning from sin. And the question is, what's our response here for those of us in the house that we've, we've valued the wrong things? We've made it religious like we're following Jesus, but really, really when it comes down to it, we're just looking for a time to get our 30 pieces of silver and move on. And many of us in this room, we can feel this sense of remorse, like I know where I'm missing it. I know that I've just kind of taken advantage of this. And man, I just want you to experience the mercy, the grace, the love of God all over again in a way that will not keep us in those patterns but launch us forward. Because we don't, we view God's love grace differently. His grace is sufficient for me not to just leave me in my habitual patterns and those that bear immediate and long-term consequences. He loves me enough. His grace is sufficient enough to launch me forward into the true life that he has for me that's filled with meaning, that's filled with purpose. The question is, what's our response today to our sin? It says everything about how we view God, how we value the grace of God in our life. I know this connects at many different levels. That's what I love about the scriptures is that Every single person in this room is like receiving this in such a fresh way as you're open to it. You've got unique things going on in your life that God's stirring within you and drawing you closer. And for every single one of us, this is a moment for us to take a step forward, to have a response. Say, God, what are you asking for me? God, help me to evaluate, to not inappropriately value the wrong things because I know over time that's going to have serious consequences. So I want to ask you to stand with me all over the room.
man, as a pastor, it's, it's funny, there's these moments in my life and just relationship with people where I have, uh, man, I see patterns that I'm like, man, I've seen this time and time again, like, what you're doing now is going to lead to this. And sometimes I've got to be really honest with people, like, hey, man, if you keep doing this, like, this is going to happen. Those are really tough conversations. Because I've had a lot of experience. I know, I, I know some of the spiritual inner workings and what takes place in our life and the physical consequences that follow them. It's really tough. We've got to communicate those things. And so many times I want to, like, wrestle and try to control and, like, like come on, man. Like, I just want to yell louder. I want to become John. But what I, I keep going back to is just, like, I hope that today we can just be filled with love and graciousness for what he's doing in our life and not try to manipulate everything, but just allow God to change us. We're so resistant to it, but God's bringing us forward in our response today. Wherever you're at, if it's inappropriately valuing the wrong things, if it's, if it's time to respond, finally respond, I want us to, to close our eyes today and just take those moments in these next few moments of worship to just take a huge step forward. Can't make you do it. No one else is going to make you do it. It's what God's doing in your life right now. The grace that he's given you, the mercy he's given you. Let's respond in faith today. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for really bad examples. And Judas, God, that can Help us today, God. We're fed off of that. To know, God, that, that you have not forsaken us. God, and, and that, our, that our hearts, you want it all. You want all of our hearts. God, help us. Help us to not just forsake you for 30 silver coins a few months down the road. But God, know that eternity, God, eternity is in your hands. God, help us to find rest today in relationship, not just in being with the crowd and everybody thinks we're in, but God, when it comes time, we're ready to turn our back on you. God, I pray that our hearts are broken today. I pray that our hearts respond to your grace and your mercy in our life and that when we leave this room, God, we walk closer. We pursue harder. We follow seriously, God. We love you. Let's worship today.